How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Looks like Romo is calling in now. There's so much to talk to him about. And Ben, you know, the reason he's jumping on at this time is because this is usually about the time he's done with getting off the golf course, for example. Like, that's his daily routine, tearing it up. And joining us now on the BuyerSafety.com hotline. Romo, 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 Romo. Tony Romo joining us right now on the Ben and Skin Show. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Man, we're doing great. It's always so much fun to to hear from you. We miss you, man. And uh, and hey, it's a great time to be joined by you because you are coming off a big win on the golf course back-to-back. You've won that same tournament now back-to-back years, right? Well, that's why I'm calling in because it's time to talk about how good I am. <laughs> hey, I was going to do that no matter what. You can count on that yeah. for sure. Uh, but, hey, so you're, you're swinging the clubs pretty good right now. How are you feeling out on the course? I'm feeling good. You know, I, I think a little bit just started last year, about a year and a half ago, really trying to make it almost a routine, systematic in nature, not unlike football where it's like you want to be good at something, you got to wake up and do it and just kind of, almost like figure out some of the subtleties and nuance of the game what makes players really good and try and get around them, find a blueprint, and then go attack it and see how good you can be. So it's, it's been a fun improvement year for me, I guess you could say. I don't want to wear you down with mechanics questions, but I was so fascinated, Tony, in reading. I guess it was right before uh, the Byron Nelson maybe about your grip on putting and how you know you have a kind of an unconventional grip and it works for you. I'm curious how long you've used that, how you arrived at that, and – and how that's working for you. Yeah, I watched Happy Gilmore. It looked like he put it pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, no, I think the reality was each time I played in an event, you know, that really is you know, important to you. I guess you could say every tournament you want to score well and play good. But a lot of them I use for um, almost like you're practicing what you're you're going to take. You're going to go into the tournament. There's really two ways to play in the tournament. So, it's like practice in football. During practice, you can just do whatever's possible to complete this pass, or you're working on your own technique to improve, and you might miss a pass. Now, in a football game, you would never do that. It's strictly about moving the ball, getting in the end zone, trying to win the game. With golf, it's similar, but some tournaments you're trying to improve while you're, you know, you're trying to take the next steps. You need to test these things out under pressure. And some of the bigger tournaments where I – it's more about getting the ball in the hole on some of those. I felt like you learn a lot and you kind of get yourself in a position to where you're going to not really try to things. Just this is who I am right now. Accept that. Get the ball in the hole. And the putting style at that time, which I'm actually not using anymore, the two-handed grip, I'm actually back to conventional short putting. But at that time, I needed to make a change because I wasn't putting very well. And that felt the most comfortable. It was like just a way to you know, putt good enough to score that week. And it got me through the week, you know, some other areas I had to improve and I've worked hard on those. So just part of the process. Yeah. And I'm, uh, the other thing I'm real curious about is now that you're playing, you're, I mean, you're a competitive person, so you're always quote unquote playing competitively, but on 
this portion of your life, now that you're not in the NFL anymore, I would imagine the focus is sharper. And so what I'm curious about is how you go about prepping for that this stuff. Do you prep like somebody on the PGA Tour does? Do you have coaches? Do coaches, are you bouncing stuff off of them? Are you your own coach? What is your golf life like now in that regard? Yeah, no, I've, I've coaches, you know, uh, Chris O'Connell, Andy Trainer, they're the plain truth, and they're actually out of here in Dallas. And Coach Matt Kuchar, a bunch of guys are all over the place. So they have great insight, wisdom, you know, just the knowledge that I didn't have that I needed to go really gain an understanding of some of the, like I said, the nuance to the game. And that's, I've learned a lot. And then there's some motor patterns I've really had to try and change over the last year. Every time you play in an event, you kind of find out real quickly where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, and then you get, you know, for me, the daily routine, it would be just like that of a guy trying to make a living in golf. I mean, I get up, drop the kids off at school, I'm in the clinic at that guy, do the activation workout, blah, 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 to get your back ready, and then you go to the golf course, and then I come home at 4 o'clock pretty much every day, even doing that 4 and 5 range, play with the kids, and wake up and do it again. And each day you're on the course, though, it's kind of, I like to like attack one thing specifically, and I want to learn all the information about that. Once I get that, I'll move to the next thing. So it's going to take time, but it's better than just randomly going out and playing every day and just trying to find stuff and a feeling each day. And that way, you know, hopefully the older you get, you'll have mastered certain areas of the game, and you'll have the information as to why and how instead of just the feeling, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Weird. Talking to Tony Romo on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. All right, so you've been going real hard at this for for over a year. And, I mean, obviously you've been a really good golfer for a long time, but you've been taking that approach you just detailed now for about a year or so. And so would you say after that year and what you've learned, do you feel like you've, you've, you're closer to your goals? Are you realizing that, oh, my God, those goals are really far away? Or are you about the same point? Uh, no, I've improved a lot. I think, I think for me, like some of my weaknesses were really apparent. They never really improved. And it was always just a feeling each day trying to hit it better, but I've kind of attacked and really studied it. And I would say since the Nelson, uh, a few months back, just putting the tape on and watching and studying and then putting yourself next to the best players and trying to understand certain things that I wasn't doing well enough. And it's not just a shot. I mean, like, I wasn't using, not to get too technical, but I wasn't using the ground correctly and how your weight is transferred and the rotational aspect of your hips and how you get off your right side and where the weight transfers to to allow the club to come in shallower. I mean, a lot of these things I'd never even thought of. And just watching it, I was like, I need to get deeper into this to another level. And having good coaching with that practice routine, I've kind of taken a pretty good step here this last three, four weeks. And it was nice to see, you know, last week in Tahoe, from start to finish, I hit the ball really well. I was able just to walk up the back nine and enjoy it, I guess. And I haven't been able to do that in a golf tournament, you know, leading by that much. So a lot of good signs. You know, it's going to take a while, but I do think that uh, I'm a much different player this year than last year. And I have a funny feeling next year at this time, that's, that's kind of where I see this three-year kind of process that I should be able to be far more consistent week in, week out. I'm probably still a good six months to a year from really being able to put some really low scores consistently, but I'm starting to sprinkle them in now. 
Talking to Tony Romo here on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. I'm curious about this aspect of it because, you know, a lot of guys listening right now play golf or play golf on the weekends. They don't have the time to play every single day. But if you haven't grown up playing golf and then you get into it later in life, there's a lot of things happening mechanically. Well, I know that you were constantly tweaking your throwing motion and your throwing mechanics and constantly trying to improve that. And obviously, as a professional athlete, you're attuned to that and can feel certain things. So, like, when you would, let's say, your throwing motion from 2012 to 2015 changes, and I'm assuming when you're out on the field, you can feel the differences in those mechanics. As you're going through this process, are you immediately feeling the mechanic difference, like in your hips, for example, or your rotation? It's Because when you're hitting a golf ball, there's a lot of different things that you can think about. Are you feeling all those things happening as they're happening, or do you have specific things you got to focus on? Well, the idea is not to get, and I tell us to get back when I was playing football, but for a kid, it's like everyone, you know, you want to be Tom Brady at a young age. So it's like, no, the idea is there's steps that you have to take each, you know, each year, each month, you know, each day. And if you don't have a plan before you show up that day, it's going to be very difficult to improve just based on feelings and just being like, oh, I feel pretty good. Let's do this today. Mm-hmm. And it, there, there needs to be a blueprint, something that you're like really trying to do. And I call it like a deliberate practice. You know, in some ways it's probably boring to people. I enjoy the heck out of, of that because it's like I'm trying to find the subtlety. What are the real little things that can actually make it so you're freed up? The idea is not to think. It's to just be able to just, like I talked about the motor pattern, same thing with the throwing motion. When you're getting ready to throw a football, when you're changing your throwing motion, like I did when I was younger as I got older, and finally I felt like, you know, I could just take two weeks off and throw the football the exact same way. That was insane for me when I was younger. If I took a day off, I'd feel like I was 100 days behind where I was before. Hmm. And so once you get the right technique, though, it just becomes muscle memory. And then you don't have to think as much. Your body just reacts that way. And then you're able to only think about one thing. And the goal is to work so hard that you can change these patterns that you've already built up to make them, you know, in a position to be consistent day in, day out, where I don't even think of that anymore. It's just, I'm just thinking now strictly about this only, instead of four or five, six things like like I think everybody does, including me when I was younger. The older I get, it's like, we're going to attack this one thing. We're going to get that right. We're going to get that right on video. We're going to get that right regardless of the shot. I'll sacrifice short-term gain all the time to constantly be going in the direction where it's going to get you one day. That's awesome. We're talking to Tony Romo on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. And and look, we're we're Romo defenders. And I, I know you've got to be – you. You have to be bulletproof in when you're the quarterback of America's team, and uh, there's always going to be haters and criticism, that type of stuff. But every you're not even playing, and your name pops up every once in a while. And I don't know if you saw this or not. I got to ask you about it. But uh, I, Peyton Manning the other day, you were in the news because Peyton Manning uh, swerved over eight lanes of traffic to to run you over while you were changing a tire out on the side of the road. He said, "I saw where he said I saw where Tony Romo said that he always knew he wanted to be a broadcaster." Well, I always knew I wanted to be a football player. That's all I knew. I was all in on that job. I didn't think about anything else while I was playing, and I think that's a good way to be. I think you've got to be all in on what you're doing. I've personally never seen anybody more all in on what they're doing than you as a football player. So, But some people heard that, and 
Maybe people are reading into it too much, saying, wait a second, is he saying that Romo was sitting there in the pocket thinking about being a broadcaster? What is he saying there? So I, I wanted to know if you heard those comments and if you had any thoughts on them at all. Uh, I actually hadn't heard those comments. You know, like the tunnel, the little bubble I live in. <laughs> yeah. Much. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, that's something I never actually said. So that would be the first flaw. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I didn't start thinking about being a broadcaster until I was contemplating retiring. And so at that point, you know, then you're going to start to think about your next phase. And, um, you know, like anything, like when you're playing football, it's all consuming. There's literally nothing else, you know, in some ways, you know, when you get like, when you go off to training camp, you don't even know what's happening in the world. I mean, you're so, it's, it's all encompassing. And um, I feel like in some ways right now with golf, a little bit of that as a broadcaster, I love it. I enjoy it. But I think that was never a part of the, you know, mindset when you're playing football. I mean, that's, that would be a, that would be silly to say that you were thinking of something like that. But I do believe that as soon as you're done and you start the next thing, I mean, you do want to be good at what you're doing. I mean, I know it's tough for Ben and Skin to have a great radio show, but <laughs> they, they somehow do it, and they make it incredible. So that's the goal. I mean, I'm done playing. I get back into broadcasting. I mean, broadcasting, I mean, golf, it's like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's not be average. Let's try and be really good at this, and that's – that's the next mindset you do. So whatever it is you're trying to do, I mean, for me, it'd be hard just to sit back and be like, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. Yeah, that's not really my mental makeup, I guess. I don't mean this to sound uh, condescending or obtuse or whatever, but was broadcasting easier than you thought it would be? No. Um, the, I mean, it's not a secret, but before I ever went on air, I think one area that was a little shocking was just, okay, we'll do a game, and then you'll get out there because we think you're pretty good. But, you know, I talked to CBS, and I was like, well, I'm not just going to randomly, you know, go out on air without knowing who I am or what I'm doing. So I got to give Jim Rickoff, Jim Nance, CBS team credit because we – I did a, a lot of games. I mean, I literally practiced as if I did a full season, you could argue. It's not two seasons worth of games. And then on my own at home – and just taped it and evaluated it. I mean, just between us and every other listener listening right now, <laughs> I think I think what I found really quickly when I did the practice games, my very first time I did a game, I just talked normal, and I listened back, and it sounded like, you know, I was the teacher from Paris Bueller's Down. It was like, Bueller, <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. I mean, it was so boring. I was like, gosh, I can't even stand listening to myself. It, it's always hard to listen to yourself. You always critique everything. And I always feel like I stink. But I do think that having listened to that, evaluated, and then I tried to be, you know, gone mad in the next game, and then I tried to be blah, blah, blah. And I went through, like, all these different variations of tone things. And then finally what I found was, for me, it's just being at dinner, trying to get you to, like, care about my story and not, like, <laughs> Be ready to, you know, look at your phone. You know, if you ever have been at dinner, you know this. I mean, he's dying to look at his phone and just, aha, uh-huh, that's a great story, but i got to check my email, maybe he, a Twitter account or something. He's looking at it right now, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is how do we keep your attention to get you to care about the story we're trying to tell? And that's, 
honestly just the tone I went with and I felt like that that was my way to like passionately talk football that you know I've studied my whole life and I've, I feel like I love well, one of my favorite stories to hear uh, when having dinner with you or anytime you're talking is to hear you talk about how your mechanics changed over the years as a quarterback. You're throwing motion, and, and you often talk about the year that it really all came together with you, and some people might be surprised how deep into your career that was. Well, there's been a lot of reports that Dak's mechanics are significantly improved after working this offseason with John Kitna, who's now the quarterback's coach. and receivers everybody's saying he is throwing dimes in particular he's throwing the ball really well downfield and he's just changed his his footwork and suddenly his mechanics are much improved so what would you say to hearing reports like that coming in year four is that is that about on schedule does that surprise you or is that about par for the course uh without having been there you know i wouldn't be able to evaluate it you know just based on that my i kind of think of it a little bit different than other people i feel like um, I feel like the footwork aspect in football is taught a lot. In other words, it's the one area where quarterback coaches and, and coordinators and people can really teach because they can see it. So you can literally tell what happens, you know, with your feet here. You feel like it's, what I found in my career was a lot of people's mechanics in the throwing motion actually stemmed like, if your feet looked off, it actually, and here's a, just an easy, you know, layman term would be like Brett Favre. You would actually argue sometimes, you know, he would look like he was off balance. I mean, he would actually be going backwards almost when he would throw it. And what you find is the mechanics of the footwork I found actually produced the throwing motion. Or I'm sorry, the, the throwing motion actually produced the footwork. In other words, the way you throw a football you almost change your footwork based on that for power, for precision, to throw a spiral when the wind's left to right, right to left. And so for me, the more I worked on footwork in football, it actually I found that my throwing mechanics sometimes suffered because it was actually making it more difficult. And so I know this is a long you know, way to talk about mechanical thing, but basically the way the ball comes off your hand your lower body and everything adjusts to that. Whereas in other sports, usually that are side on sports, the way your feet, the way your feet move will help produce and the way your lower body moves will produce what's, what's coming. But a football is a very unique, you know, uh, it's just a very funny object. That's not round. So it's a, it's a different thing. It's hard to get this thing perfect. But when you do, you'll find that there's a lot of different footwork by some of the best players but their mechanics of the arm angle and the way they are releasing the ball are all very similar. And that was actually shocking to me when I figured that part of it out. So, you know, I'm not saying one way is right or wrong. I've always felt like I wanted to attack the arm angle and the way the ball was coming out first, and then I would eventually move down. So, you know, it's interesting as long as the stuff up top with the football shoulder movement some of those things are coming then that's going to be a really good thing then with the lower body doing stuff correctly okay so tony so let me tell you why i really like hearing that because our own kevin turner kt fun tweets pointed out very early on with dak and i, I was late coming to the party that dak almost has duck feet right they kind of point out 
Like, how would you describe that, KT? Yeah, I would say one, the right foot's pointing out towards the sideline, the left uh, foot's pointing out towards the other sideline. So, you know, I had this inherent worry of, oh, well, will his footwork be a problem? But I hear you saying that the throwing motion can actually dictate the footwork. And so, to me, that almost gives me confidence that he will get wherever he needs to be mechanically, knowing that it starts up top. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think Dak's going to work hard. I mean, he's a hard worker. He's got good coaches around him. You know, John Kitt has come from a very good background. He threw a very good football. I mean, he's, these guys, they study his stuff. It's just some of the stuff I would talk about would, would bore you guys. I'll tell you that because I got so in-depth with it that it almost um, – I just wanted to know why for every little detail. You know, the arm angle would be here, why your feet would be here, why, you know, you would angle, like you said, the feet would be angled out at 45 instead of 30 or 90. I mean, all this stuff. And – I think each guy has his own natural stroke. Some are longer, some are shorter. The idea is to make the longer shorter, and some of the shorter keep that the same if they have enough power. If they don't have power, how are you going to create it? Well, there's only so many ways. So, you know, as long as he has, you know, throwing the ball with velocity and spin, then I think that's – I wouldn't mess with it too much. So you've taught us a lot about – tendencies in the NFL and the chess match between coordinators and, and how important that is and how predictability can be a very difficult thing and obviously the Cowboys are going to go through a change at the offensive coordinator spot with Kellen Moore getting an opportunity and so if nothing else it's going to be way harder to predict what they're doing compared to years past because there's been a change how significant is that change in your opinion for the Cowboys offense to have a, a new offensive coordinator well it's significant and the significance mostly for me, in some ways, I always would argue, you know, there's certain things that I would do differently than I think there's probably one or two teams who do this. I just don't think they've talked about it. But I think that the NFL, there's so much data and stuff on film and tape that if you get a history going against a coordinator or against a coach and a system – you just understand who these people are. Human beings are still calling these plays. They're still making decisions. And so the more you know that, the more data you have on them, you know, you can actually predict easier what's coming. So I've always felt like change is a good thing just for change's sake, even if it's bad change. After a, after a certain point, just to give your teams in your division, if they don't really have any data on how this guy calls – Again, even if the system's the exact same, literally if they didn't change the play, it would still throw off teams in the division or teams who have played against them or coordinators, defensive coordinators, strictly based on the fact that this guy they've never gone against. So they don't know under the gun, is he a guy who, you know, for defensive coordinators, this guy's coming out, coming with an all-out blitz if the game's on the line. This other guy, he's going to drop eight guys and try and throw your timing off. Well, certain people, that's just who they are. That's their mental makeup. And so just having a change is going to benefit you early. Now, as the season progresses, now there's tape. Now there's data. There's analysis. I mean, now you have everything as far as the numbers on third down, red zone, the key plays. Then that'll start to – that's when you'll find out really how good, you know, that actual play call is. So, Tony, we know that you have a uh, a passionate football love affair with Bill Belichick, as a lot of people do. 
Do you think he is literally head and shoulders above all these other organizations, or is it a lot closer than that? Uh, I wouldn't say organizations, but from a from a football mind standpoint, I really don't know that I've met anybody really that close. I mean, he really he's rare, and you know, a lot of times I'll ask coaches and other people certain questions that I know are probably a little bit difficult, but it kind of shows me real quick whether or not they have answers or if it's just, you know, more simple without getting into exact detail there. But Bill Belichick, he's not going to go into a game feeling like we don't have answers. And when I say that, I mean, Everyone says he's going to take away what you do best. They think he just double teams the best part. I'm like, no, you have to understand. He's taking away the inside run while taking away the inside – or while he's taking away the inside receiver, slot receiver, or, you know, Antonio Brown or someone. It's like they know he's going to take away Antonio Brown, but he takes away multiple things, and he does it differently the next time he plays you from different looks. And what he did in the Super Bowl was really one of the great – I think one of the great – you know, him and Brian Flores, I mean, one of the great defensive performances I've ever seen in football, and really in the AFC title game. He went to Kansas City, and in that first half, Kansas City couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that was – I mean, these two offenses were – you know, you saw what happened when the Rams played the Cowboys. I mean, these were very good offensive units and with very good systems. But what he did was really, really impressive. And when I'm around him, I learned. And that's really a joy when you can really learn something more about football with people around. When you have people that can teach you the game after you've been studying it for 15, 20 years, that's a really, that's a joy. So, and I can't, I mean, I honestly learn every time I'm around him. And that's, that's, he's really, really special. Why, but okay, why is he special? In other words, there's a bunch of guys that work in the league that, that's all they do, and there's smart guys. There's all kinds of guys with abilities that are dedicated to this, but something makes him different. What is it? Well, it's to me, it's uh, there's a book called Outliers. They call 10,000-hour rules to be elite. So it's like the 10,000 hours makes an elite whatever it is. You want to be a violinist? Great. You want to be a football player? Good. So that you have to perfect your craft, basically, I say. Well, somebody like Belichick, the, the rarity that I see is that he he believes in – he has I mean, there's a million things we could talk about, okay, but just some core stuff that I see is that he genuinely is not scared to go outside the box. And I find in the NFL very few teams vary from what they do. So what he does then is he drafts people that he believes – can adapt from week to week and really understand, okay, you were the B gap on this play call last year. That's the gap you had to fit, linebacker. Now next week, you're the C gap. Wait, wait, that's the same look, the same call. I know. Can you do that? Well, you better have smart people to be able to do it. This is why they constantly move on from people. It's like he just needs people to do, you know, the stuff that he's able to come up with from week to week. And, He's basically attacking what you're doing, whereas I find most defenses do what they do, and 
that works too. I mean, there's a lot of good defenses that play hard, but very few of them attack the, the coordinator, attack the, you know, the quarterback and how he thinks. And the reason is because it's just really hard to get these players not to bust a play, not to have a, you know, a situation where a guy gives up a touchdown just because he forgot. Mm-hmm. And that's why they study. That's why they they work really hard there. I mean, they they're they're they work really, really hard to know football there. And that that's as big a thing as anything. I mean, he just gets players who will buy into changing and morphing from week to week, and that's hard to do. How big is this challenge for your good buddy Jason Witten to come from being retired and in the booth to being back on the field? Oh, he'll, he'll pick up right where he left off. I mean, I don't think it's a big challenge for Jason. I mean, the reality of it is as long as, you know, if you know the game the way he does, there's certain positions. He plays one of them where at the tight end, he's always going to have the nuance to get open. You know, even, you know, let's say he runs the exact same he always did. I mean, to me, it's just that position is your ability to use leverage against somebody, make you think this and then do that. Well, it's just like the back pick in basketball. I mean, it's just all of a sudden it gets you and you didn't even know it was coming and that guy's wide open. It's just He's very intelligent, you know, with the game of football, and I think that he's going to pick up right when he retired. I think you'll see the same guy. How do you see a new offense helping Witten or impacting Witten? Well, I don't think you go into – I don't think that's part of the thinking for, you know, the offensive coordinator. It's, gonna, it's more going to be about how are we going to score points, how are we going to score touchdowns. And that's really going to be the – you know, people are going to catch passes one week. Witten will catch ten the next week. You know, it'll be less because of the scheme. It's it's more scheme related than it is individual. You know, if you wanted to take away Mari Cooper, you really, I mean, you could. You would just have to adjust your scheme within that week, and there'll be a game or two, or people will do that. Then other teams will see that he's not hurting it on tape, and then he'll come back and hurt two more teams, and then Witten will do the same thing. It's just it's how the the league works. It's what they see on tape that's beating other teams. Teams will try and neutralize that. That's usually when people start to have good weeks again. All right, we're going to let you go. We're not going to hold you hostage forever. But I did. I was wondering earlier in the interview. I kept hearing this beep, 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 this sound, and I was wondering: is that a radar detector? Is that a phone? What is? And I think I know what it is. I think it's that little alert in the front of a truck that tells you, "Hey, back up! You're tailgating. You're you're it, the collision warning." Is that what that was? I would never have a collision warning. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I think it was Ant. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> okay. You're ta- are you a tailgater? I actually didn't hit anybody, though. So okay, good, good. Okay. That's good. That's I just good. It was, I just assumed it was Andy's life alert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, Cousin Andy, with another successful convention, SportsCon was awesome this weekend. I know you were busy winning a golf tournament, but what do you make of Cousin Andy with another big success? Oh, it was fantastic. SportsCon had a great year, and, you know, just some of the stuff they had. I mean, they had Vince Young against Johnny Manziel and, you know, the military game. I mean, they had a, they had a home run, you know, first year with that, and Andy's worked really hard to do that. So, Cousin Andy's done a great job, and I think the future is real bright for SportsCon. No doubt. And, man, thank you. We went way over our time limit, but I think you know by now, if we get you on the show, uh, we're big-time Romo homers. We're going to keep you as long as we can. Thanks so much for taking the time. We know you're busy, and we want to wish you much continued success in the golf course and hope to catch up with you soon. 
You got it. Thanks, guys. I am pretty busy. I got to go swim with three boys now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Just living the life right there. That is the life. There he goes. Tony freaking Romo. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.